Welcome to the Be Bold in Business podcast. My name is Samantha Hearn and I am the host of this amazing channel. I wanted to bring you a place where you hear from myself and other amazing, inspirational business people on their journey to the success they've created. I wanted to bring you the offline journeys to the online successes that we see on social media. I want to create a place where you hear the struggles people have been through, the challenges, the lessons they've learned, the mistakes they've made, so that you know that ordinary people can create extraordinary things every single day, and that it is totally possible for you too. The Be Bold in Business podcast is a place where you are going to hear real, genuine, warts and all stories from some of the most exceptional people in business and how they succeeded anyway. If you are ready to show up in your business, if you are ready to be bold, if you are ready to learn from your mistakes, if you are ready to bounce back and become more resilient, this is the podcast for you. And me, Samantha Hearn, I cannot wait to welcome you, support you, empower and inspire you and share with you the stories that sometimes don't get shared online and give you this real refreshing approach on how building a business sometimes can be hard, sometimes involves failing, sometimes involves struggle, but you can still succeed anyway. So welcome to the Be Bold in Business podcast, and I cannot wait for you to take your invitation to be bold in your business too. Welcome to another episode of the Be Bold in Business podcast, and it's been a while, but we're having an interview today. So we're speaking to someone other than me, which is going to be <laughs> exciting. Um, and as always, the focus is that you walk away with this feeling empowered, enriched, and like you can take on your world for today and moving forward. But I'm so excited. And as usual, our guests will always introduce themselves. But I'm so excited to have you with us, Kanna. Please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, and then we can dive straight in. Yeah, thank you so much, Samantha, for inviting me to this interview. Uh, my name is Kanna. I am a Tamil Canadian uh, studying, well, studied in Scotland, now working in Scotland as a junior doctor. Um, I have had the pleasure of having a very interesting, beautiful journey throughout all of this um, and have had many obstacles along the way in terms of racism and sexism and also culture. Um, so I'd really like to talk about the ways that I've faced these things and um, yeah, problem solved along the way and also took it to kind of share my story in the various different platforms that I have. So yeah. Oh my God, I love that. And I know when we first met and um, my audience who followed me for a while, I think I used to be a teacher and education is really important for me. And um, when everything happened last year with George Floyd and the Black Lives Movement, and it really kind of came to a, a halt on social media, mm -hmm. I really wanted for me the focus for my audience was to become educated and I did a lot around sharing masterclasses I was taking people I started following who I started to learn from but what I really want to do now is make sure that the conversations keep happening in a way that people can learn mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation but I'm yeah. excited to to hear what you've done to always be bold because I think that's key you know when you go through challenges to understand that we have a choice to move forward and everything you've done has led you to this point so I I cannot wait and I also just want to urge anyone listening if you find any of this um, challenging you feel uncertain especially if you are a white woman living in the UK and you're kind of like oh my gosh I just I don't know what to do please please don't 
feel bad and nothing's too silly just reach out to Kana have a conversation ask her any questions if you want to go through me and I pass them on to her but I think that's the point of this we want to just make yeah. sure everyone feels like they can learn yeah and move forward with with an intention and I think that's that's key yeah of course um exactly that I think George Floyd was one of many eye-awakening moments um and for me I as a Tamil woman um so for people who aren't aware Tamil um, is a language but comes with a huge culture behind it. There's a huge Tamil diaspora all over the world in Canada, in the UK. Um, and yeah, through that, I've kind of had a different perspective in all of this. I am not black, but I am dark skinned. I'm a dark skinned woman navigating this world. Um, and through that, I've also faced anti-blackness in my own culture and community. Um, and it's kind of realizing the different ways that um, racism and you know the patriarchy and um, white supremacy is kind of you know pervasive in different ways that it can it can affect people um, and it's trying to challenge that within ourselves because there's internalized racism the way that we put ourselves down um, as a community um, but also trying to kind of separate ourselves or be close to the white community as possible um, and kind of like ignore our own culture in the process. So there's the internal aspect. Um, and then there's also the overt racism, the subtle racism that you're not entirely sure that you're facing, but is happening. Um, and not always is there a word <laughs> to explain it. And I've had those subtle experiences um, throughout my medical school training. Um, throughout placements on the wards um, and it's a mixture it's and that's where the term intersectionality comes in as well where you're not only facing racism you're also facing another level of sexism along with it so the two come together and um, yeah I mean I'm privileged in many ways to have these opportunities but then realizing that some opportunities aren't available um, and because of things that I can't control. <laughs> so yeah, sure. to be a voice for that as much as I can and yeah, share my story and my learning curve um, throughout all of this and be the best version as I can be in this moment in time, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, and, and thank you for sharing and for being that voice because it's important and it's important for people like me to, to do what really needs doing. Mm -hmm. And there's only so much that can be done until we finally accept that we need to create change, be changed, learn, you know. So I just thank you for, for coming and, and having this conversation. Yeah. Um, what I'd love to do is just give you the opportunity to, yeah, tell us a bit more about all of these experiences, your story, your journey, and just uh, yeah. and then, we can, then we can really start to unpick it together. Yeah. Um. So to start off, I think my, like, my, there's a childhood part of the story, but then there is also the journey where everything kind of like I've had to face it all because I was thrown in the deep end. And that deep end moment was an 18 year old leaving Toronto, um, a very multicultural, diverse city with um, the ability to be a Tamil woman um, through her own culture and her community in Toronto um, to then travel 
across the world to a town called St. Andrews. And I don't know if many people are aware. It's a very, I don't know, it's in the news and things because Prince William and, you know, Kate, like, met there and things like that. So I was aware of that story going in. Um, but I also saw this, like, very beautiful um, castles and beaches and things like that. And it's very regal. But when you go there, you realize very quickly that everybody is white. <laughs> and there's not a lot of people that look like you. Um, and navigating in that space, you, you're able to like feel things happening without really understanding what exactly it was. Um, even amongst the friends that you met, they weren't, you're sometimes one of the first few people of color that they may have met and aren't really sure. They say, they often say, oh, I don't see color. Um, but then Obviously, if you can see, as Trevor Noah says, if you can see a traffic light go from red to yellow to green, you can see my skin color. And it is a part of my identity as much as, you know, it, I'd like it to not affect the way people perceive me. It does. Um, and it, like, it affects the experiences that I have as well. So going to St. Andrews, which is, you know, a very small town for three years studying medicine, um, it really changed my perspective on race. Um, it changed the way I saw myself. And there was an element of going through a lot of mental health issues, and especially in terms of anxiety and um, adjusting to this new culture because I never felt like I was completely accepted in my environment or there were parts of me that was accepted. But then part of me that, parts of me that weren't because um, I was too cultured and too Tamil or too different. And I myself was trying so hard to be as white as possible to fit in. Um, and I guess everybody feels that in some way to like fit in, fit into a community, be accepted, included. Um, but I was really putting like dampening parts of me in order to fit in. And those parts of me were often related to culture. Um, whereas later, over the course of those three years, I started to understand that, that I didn't have to apologize for my culture, that I didn't have to apologize for being different. Um, I started to embrace it a little bit more, but then saw that some people didn't feel it, feel so comfortable with it. And again, it's very, it's not always spoken about. It's very hard to um, deal with it if, again, words aren't put to these things. Um, and often people think racism is so, racism is usually like when somebody, you know, says a derogatory term to you or something like that, but mm. it's not always tangible like that. It's this feeling that you get and even that feeling you're like, oh, am I being extra? Am I questioning it too much? Or am I think overthinking this? Um, but then you notice that, but also like the different ways that people speak about like, even other countries and how they deal with those cultures and you realize, well, if they're able to do that, what do they think of me? Like if, if they're able to not give the respect that these cultures deserve um, and they think that they're above them, then how, how do they think about me? Um, and then you internalize all of that and then you think that you're not as deserving. Um, but yeah, it's like not everybody is as impressionable to this, but because it starts from very young, you're conditioned to thinking that you weren't worthy and you're not um, deserving of 
the same respect and same, yeah, <laughs> same inclusiveness that other people have um, just for the way they are as opposed to like hiding parts of themselves. Um, and yeah, it's not always overt. It's something, sometimes it's an interplay of like how you, how you deal with yourself based on like how representation in media is, um, how inclusive people are with other, other people of color. And for me, it was interesting because I have a Canadian accent. So people are very intrigued <laughs> by um, how American I might sound in the UK. Um, but with that, they're also curious about the what, the like the reason why my skin color is quite dark and my features. So when they ask the question, like, where are you from? Like, I, I invite that question because it is from um, a level of curiosity. And I think it's important to ask these questions. But at the same time, when it's asked, the intention behind the question also kind of matters. Are you trying to point out that I am different from you? I try to point out that, um, you know, I don't belong here kind of thing, especially since I'm often the person that gets asked these questions more so than my other colleagues. And then you kind of notice how different you are. But, you know, it's inevitable in some ways, but um, there are times where that question comes from a very malicious intent and that's when it can be quite triggering um yeah <laughs> that kind of answers the yeah. generic you know, question that you're asking me for um, no absolutely like it's just such a good starting point and one question that i wanted to ask is have you ever been in a situation where mm -hmm. um you or could you think of an example where you were with a white person and they did something positive to support or be the way or, or or include you in a way that you deserve to be included or some kind of tangible scenarios or examples that if people are listening and they're not doing they can think okay I could do that or if they are doing they do more of that yeah um I think it's Mostly I dealt with that kind of thing, thinking about my friends. The moment that you asked the question, immediately my friends kind of popped up. Um, I think I've had many friends along the way, but one of my closest friends, um, she's from DC. Like a shout out to Grace. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, but she was actually one of the people that actually taught me about internalized racism, things like that, because she did international relations. Um, but I think it's really about being ready to listen um, about your experiences. And I know it's not always relatable um, because you know we it's a different experience that I may have had because of the way that I look or in the culture that I was up, like brought in. But also there are so many commonalities that you'll still be able to have, but to be able to really understand who I am and um, be my like friend or be my colleague I also deal with very um, traumatic like lots of triggers in my work workplace and things like that as well so it helps to know that there is somebody that I can go to that is willing to listen and be accepting um, and doesn't find these conversations too much because often those scenarios when you're actually wanting to like convey your story or tell your story, um, 
you realize really quickly that some people are very uncomfortable by having those conversations. And it's when somebody's very, very willing to have them that I feel um, at peace. And I think, you know, yeah, I think that's like one of the big, the biggest ways that you can help somebody is to feel listened to um, without judgment, without diminishing their feeling about the racism that they may be feeling or the sexism that they may be feeling, without um, saying that, oh, you're overthinking this. And it's like, well, this is like a reality that I not like I face often. And um, so I'd like to feel listened to without judgment and to feel supported. So it's a very basic, minimal thing that you can really do for a lot of people. I think it's so good that you shared that though, because I do believe, and this is this is all about awareness. So this is not about judging anyone else and how they've got to this point, but it is for me, I want to share maybe a perception of the opposite of what you're sharing. And actually, I think it's so important that you've said that just listening yeah. can be enough because I definitely have felt I've been in situations where someone like me would become defensive. Mm. or it would become like is it a personal attack on me am I a bad person you know I'm not racist and but but I, I would never do that and it becomes very much about the the person that's the recipient of the conversation mm. and I think what from what I'm taking from what you've shared is it's about being able to have a conversation with someone else who's had experiences like you mm. and just come to them without the need to defend or justify or even give a rebuttal but what about this and but yeah. what about this so it's just a kind of a, yeah okay so that's that's yeah. what you need to know and I think the thing about this is not about perfection because I'm gonna say this like I'm I'm also race I'm literally telling you I've mis like internalized racism internalized misogyny and this is something that you know came out of thin air. It's been conditioning that I've had throughout life. And for me to not accept that these things are inevitable given the way our society works, it's, yeah, it's not realistic. Um, yeah. And you won't be able to, you know, change these processes and these patterns without actually acknowledging that you have a problem or that this is an issue. Um, and then being able to reflect on it and then work your way through it is what causes change and for me it's not really about everybody else <laughs> and how they deal with the world per se it's really about me as well like and how i what actions am i doing um to feel like i deserve this or how am i treating myself how what kind of respect am i creating for my from my environment who am i associating myself with am i treating like yeah am i being res respectful with myself um and with that it becomes a more internal thing and as we do our own healing we then inevitably cause you know a change in other people as well through examples and um yeah in the way that you relate with people but i think that's a more recent change that i've made um of course sharing your stories can be very valuable and i always say that if i was a younger version of myself and i heard the stories that i've that I'm sharing today, I would feel connected. I would feel less alone. Um, I would feel validated. And it might be the first step of many that helps me to realize that I'm not alone in this journey and that other people have gone through this um, and that they also agree that this isn't okay. 
Yeah, I love that. I would love to find out because what you're doing now, I mean, obviously I know what you're doing now, but in terms of, um, you know, how is it being in the medical field? What are you doing outside of that to actively speak about and open up these conversations? How does your life look? And the reason I asked that is when you said we need to go to ourselves first, how are we showing up? How are we spending time with the people that we're spending time with? How are we mindful about our contribution to who we are and how we've got here? Yeah. I think it's so, I find it fascinating, but I know people listening will find it fascinating. When you hear how other people now live their lives and positively contribute to what they're passionate about, mm -hmm. I think it can give all of us kind of new fire like oh my gosh you know yeah. this is what she's doing and oh I'd love to do and spark an idea so yeah what does what does your life look like now <laughs> so right now I am an FY2 doctor and I'm going into specialty training I have a huge interest in mental health I have you know I'm my own therapist I work through my mental health and things like that um, I also have an interest in sexual health so I wanted to basically um, go into a special training program that has both into consideration. Um, I'm actually in the midst of choosing between obstetrics and gynecology or general practice, which is the equivalent of family medicine. Whoa, um, whoa. I have, a, um, so I've been offered a general practice position, training position in London, which is very exciting for me. because oh, I've been exciting! <laughs> For almost eight years, so I could really use it some change into a bigger city. Um, but I'm also waiting my offers for Ops and Gynae. I applied for Sexual Health, um, which is like another run through program, but the spots in the UK are very limited and very comp competitive. There's like four spots in the entirety of the UK. Um, so that was my goal. But then I realized, you know, you don't always have to go through these specific programs to do what you want to do. And for me, I am a very, um, I consider myself a very wholesome, holistic person that just likes to do many things. And I think if I were to choose GP, um, it provides a little bit more time to do the other things that I do. And that includes, um, you know, featuring on podcasts, <laughs> I'm blogging, which I haven't really done in a while, but I, I, it's something that I like doing. I like, I love writing. Um, more recently, it was like the birthday fundraiser um, for childhood sexual abuse and promoting awareness for Andrew, a Tamil UK and Canada charity that works with um, childhood sexual abuse uh, survivors. Um, and through that, I was able to like host a lot of conversations. So that might be something that I continue going forward. Um, but also, like, I love um, doing research um, in sexual health and i've done a few audits and things just to kind of optimize the way that we deliver healthcare um in these fields but also i'm doing a master's in clinical education i feel like i'm like boasting a little bit about myself right now but these things like they they're these are things that i've chosen to do because as i was learning again in medical school i felt like our medical curriculum was white like white it felt very eurocentric centered and the stuff that you learn about in terms of the conditions that people of color um, might face a bit more about it's quite limited and when you learn about disease and things like that it's often portrayed on a um, a fair-skinned body and it doesn't always manifest in the same ways 
Um, I mean, anatomy is very sim like very similar between people, but um, things like jaundice, which is the yellowing of your skin, and um, a melanated skin like myself, it's doesn't always appear yellow. Yes, your eyes turn yellow. Um, sorry, your eyes turn yellow, but at the same time, your skin just gets darker. Or the ways rashes appear on your skin is quite different. You are popular. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, with That's that, so true. I, that is such a good point. So That's I just such a good point. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, even if you're listening to this, maybe you're having the same thought as me, but that, that for me, when you've said that, I'm thinking back to the time where I was at school and we did, you know, um, sex education, or you learn about periods or yeah. all of the things. And I, never was there a time, I went to a very multicultural school, yeah. but never was there a time that any diagram or any image was of anybody that wasn't yeah. uh, of a white peachy skin tone yeah so yeah even, even thinking back to then you know that is such a good point and even our research um like for example like i don't know if you're aware about henrietta Lacks. um it's basically her cervical um cells were used in research without her consent and back then even there wasn't like a lot of gynecology and the research behind gynecology was using um, black women without real consent. <laughs> um, and they would go through painful um, investigations to conduct research. And so our research um, in gynecology, especially like all of this was in the US, is based on very racist pra practices. Um, even syphilis, um, it was the, the knowledge and the evidence base that we have right now is based on not treating black men with syphilis um, so that we have more research and knowledge from the way that the disease portrays in them. And then, oh yeah, like there's just, medicine has a very dark history and that was something that I became aware about, but then I had to seek that knowledge for my own end. And yeah. do you find that hard, like being in a profession that has all of this loaded history and there's so many habitual ways of teaching and habitual ways of showcasing knowledge? Did you, do you find that hard being in the medical profession or do you feel almost empowered that you are there to help make and create change? Initially, I felt very... <laughs> powerless because I felt like in order to be a doctor, it meant that I had to follow these practices. Professionalism, the way that, you know, to be a professional, quote unquote, is part of our medical, like our conduct. Um, and it comes with certain attributes. And even that, like, I felt powerless in that because it was like, who defines professionalism? What does professionalism, what is professionalism really? Um, and I felt like, questioning these things and challenging these things weren't always invited. Not everybody was accepting of it. I felt like I had to be grateful for having, you know, being able to train into becoming a doctor. Um, but then realized very quickly that there wasn't, there wasn't just individuals like, there were individuals like me that were 
I'm curious about these things. I worked with them to, you know, look at the humanities and the ethics behind these things. Um, and you start quickly with social media realizing that there are many doctors out there that are questioning this. And interestingly, my master's program in clinical education is also based at the University of Edinburgh, which is where I did my, like my clinical years on medical training. And they also reflect on these practices. And so that gives me a very unique opportunity to kind of reflect on my own medical training and see how I can benefit it. So it, it's coming, it's feeling like the dots are connecting now. Um, and yeah, it's other things like even medical electives. So as medical students, you're allowed to go do your electives in another country. And the ways that my colleagues are speaking about these electives is very interesting. Um, they weren't realizing the privilege that they had as one, as a white person, but also a doctor as a white person, um, and how their patients might see them as a result of their skin color and put them at like on a pedestal just because of the way that they look and the way that they speak. Um, but then the ways that they were taking pictures at these, um, at these electives, sometimes, I mean, you're not supposed to, like there were, there was a good um, lectures to make sure that we were respectful about patients not taking pictures of them or anything like that. But then it still felt like they weren't aware of that, their privilege and um, in going into these electives and the way that they spoke spoke about them and the language they used in, about, in speaking about them. Um, yeah, it wasn't quote unquote professional, like, you know, and hearing the way you speak about that, it makes me also feel like and on the side kind of like subconscious level, I felt like that's the kind of language that I should also be accepting as an individual of color. Um, but I like, you know, as a brown woman, I definitely think things are different in comparison to like my black friends that have gone through medical school's training. Um, I think they've had stereotypes be placed on them. And um, yeah, and even like working with some colleagues, um, patients aren't the most respectful and can all, often stereotype them as well. And that's also disheartening to be around. And you feel very quickly, well, you're part of this community, very quickly you're like, you feel isolated, alienated. And yeah, it's, it hits you from, you don't even realize when it, it's about to hit you and it hits you and you're like, okay. And then you go through this internal process of being like, okay, this is just an individual, like this isn't everybody. But then every single time it happens, it's like another ripple in this, or another like domino effects of like going into it and then like pulling back. But that pulling back, it took lots of reflecting and mental health, um, you know, therapy and things like that to bring me back and feel grounded despite all of that. Um, yeah, for sure. And that's, um, even that sentence is not a sentence that someone should have to say. Yeah. Like yeah. this, like a normal thing, but it's not normal, but it's normal for you, but it shouldn't be normal. So I'd love to, before we kind of, you know, have our closing chat, I think something that I think would be very beneficial. I love these conversations because yeah. I think it's so important. And I think it's, you know, as you said, no one's perfect, but for people in my position, yeah. 
own it's not common that you're the person that's questioning your behaviors and now yeah. it's coming to light that there is a lot to question um yeah. and you know there are ways that things should change but have never even been brought up in a conversation of change so there's just a lot of this to unpack but i think what i would love to ask is picking Sorry. up there's a little bit of can you hear that in the background or no yeah, don't worry it's, it's adding effect you know like we're like you know, famous what um, i, I want to pick up on what you said about the fact that you know no one's perfect and we're all learning and this like you know but i definitely think for the white population this feeling of being perfect is a lot more of an entitlement yeah um, and I say that, you know, with the greatest compassion, there are so many, I have so many white friends that have had difficult situations. And I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I'm saying it's not the same level. Um, but what I would like to ask is, there are things that I think people do thinking it's the right thing to do and thinking that it will help, mm. but actually it probably makes it indirectly worse because we're doing something to to feel like it's the right thing to do but yeah. it actually creates more I think awkwardness because then then there becomes this unsaid gap so mm. we say what we think we should say it's received in a way of oh I can't believe that just happened and then yeah. there's this gap of misunderstanding and I think the misunderstanding is now something I want to try and remove that the, the how are we misunderstanding this situation and again making it about us like what should we do and what are we doing right and wrong but if you had to give some like pointers of things that we think for example that question of also where are you from mm. I mean that in itself I totally totally appreciate what you mean there it's a conversation starter but it's also would you say that to someone that looked the same as you when you're at a party you know mm. you might say how far away do you live are you getting a cab but it wouldn't have the same connotation. So are there any misunderstandings that could be avoided and potentially handled better? Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm grilling you, like literally like, yeah. no. <laughs> I definitely think that it's, these misunderstandings are going to happen just because of how complicated and complex this is. This isn't something that just happened overnight. It's been happening for many hundreds of years, right? Um, and I think every person approaches this very differently. Every person of color would approach this very differently. I know a lot of even my other, you know, like racism isn't just a white person to their kind of thing. It's between no. people of color and um, and that's like, you know, like the brown community against the black no. community like if these things happen and um i think it's coming in without judgment <laughs> and being aware of the fact that questions like where are you from for a person of color might be more difficult to answer um also taking the time to read up on these things there's so much on the internet. It's very easy to learn about what things might be offensive, might be offensive. And I'm highlighting might because not everybody would find it offensive. It's just an increased likelihood because of shared experiences. Um, being as informed as you can about these things, but then not present, not showing off about your wokeness. Because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> there 
have this book or I have a, you know, a black friend or I have a brown friend and she said this, it's almost like we are being used for you to be presented as this, you know, well-informed individual, but that's not the case. And it's like dropping the ego, yeah. like having an ego less conversation mm -hmm. when exactly what you said about the listening and the no judgment. One of the key things I'm hearing from that is this idea that there's, there needs to be an ego involved. Who's doing a better job? Who's yeah. better? Who's the better anti-racist campaigner? Who's the better advocate? Like, you know, so kind of remove, remove this idea of any betterness. Yeah. Like just, we all just are doing our bit, like you said, to go inward and say, are we learning? Are we informed? Are we doing mm -hmm. what we need to do for ourselves, the people around us? So, okay. And, you know, I think the biggest things for me, like having these conversations, not just with other people of color, but like have these conversations within your families. You never know how much, you know, your aunt or your uncle might be actually making somebody else's life a little more difficult. <laughs> so it will be a lot easier for you to have that conversation than for me to come in and be like, please treat me better. Um, yeah. So those, those things go a long way. And, you know, all of these things, it's about creating, using a moment to create momentum and create change or movement. So that's I love what, that. And that's so true because when this first, when, when I say this, it was kind of the first big firework almost. It kind of just overnight exploded. But of course, for people that have lived with this, like you said, for hundreds of years, of course, yeah. it's not a firework. But for, for, for me, that's how it felt in this yeah. experience. And I was sort of thinking, so I had a conversation exactly like you said with my godmother. Um, yeah. and she grew up with one hand. So she was born as an amputee. Mm -hmm. um, She's white though, white middle class, but she was born with, without a hand. And um, she was so open to learning and like, you know, she's been doing this work for so long and doing all of these things behind the scenes, which I spent all this time with her and it hasn't really come up. And she was talking all about, you know, equality in the workplace, accessibility, uh, you know, resources, things being differentiated for people so that you know in lifts and you know watches and how to put on a watch and shoelaces and all of these things and I remember thinking wow you know exactly what you're saying she's been doing this all the time without waving her flag of you know I'm doing the right thing and she told me you're it's so right I definitely encourage anyone listening to this to have conversations within your families because she told me about a book that she'd read a long time ago but of course in my ignorance it hadn't even crossed my radar and um, it was called Why I'm No Longer Speaking to White People About Race. You know? mm. And I thought, and anyway, she started telling me all these stories and her daughter, who's 25, was so informed. They mm. didn't tell me this at school. I didn't learn this in history. And she was like angry. She was like, you know, this is embarrassing. So I got the book and then I had conversations with my husband and I was in tears. I was like, I can't believe we didn't learn this. Like, what on earth have we been taught? That's not the truth. Yeah. But that happened because I had a conversation with someone in my family who then, so yeah, I love that. The advice that it's not actually, yeah, just those interactions and having those conversations with people. I, I love, I'm, I find this so exciting because I think it's giving people an opportunity to learn. Yeah, that's it. And I think for me, like, again, learning about coming from a Canadian educational system to coming to Britain and learning, you know, talk, speaking to colleagues, what I found really under, like interesting is Britain has been involved, you know, invading countries, taking their culture, stealing culture, coming back. 
but then it feels like that aspect isn't really taught <laughs> like no, no it's not taught like, at all radar and i'm like i'm still facing the consequences of these actions today and yet we're not acknowledging this and yet for me like coming from toronto i mean like toronto isn't perfect but it's a, it's a newer country it doesn't have that same level of history i get that and i felt like i learned you know so much about like i'm like the way that i think right now it is supplemented by the fact that my educational system maybe questions the way society works and things like that and not just taking it as the way of order but rather you know things need to be changed yeah i love that and it's true and it is true like and i remember thinking i used to be a teacher by the way i was a teacher for 10 years um i didn't teach history but um yeah i was in the education system for 10 years as a teacher and i remember you know looking back and again it was such a big focus, you know, things like differentiating by ability. And that's mm. something we would never shy away from. No child is going to get the same grades. And that's something we need to embrace. But when it comes to culture, yeah. we're almost generalizing. But it's, it's why we should embrace that there are different cultures, that there are different experiences, like we would ability, yeah. you know, all of that. So it definitely did. It did teach me a lot about the things I didn't know, bearing in mind, I've always lived in this country. And I remember thinking, I did not know that. But you almost then feel like it's unfair. Like I've been put in this like weird bubble of only being given this selective information. And then you think, well, no wonder, like no wonder we're in this situation. But it's, it's, it's almost like, and it's, and it's never, it should never be this way, but it's almost like something has to happen mm-hmm. and make people of this like ignorant bliss yes recognize like otherwise we all just carry on in our floating around and like everything's great really wasn't aware about the ignorance bliss until i came to saint andrews i was like wow there's a whole world of people that really think that this isn't real like they genuinely can stand and like you know boast about the fact that racism isn't a thing like it was just yeah (laughs) it was invalidating being around that because then you're like am i am i wrong like um yeah i i think the key words i'm hearing from this whole conversation is ego mm. like let's try and remove the ego and listening yeah exactly if you were to oh, by the way i literally could talk about this forever yeah. uh and if you're listening to this and you want another follow-up conversation between me and cammy you want us to have another conversation more around the sexism lines we're more that's great we'll do that um, and I think there's so much to unpick. Um, but I love that this conversation has more been focused around the racism as, an, as a conversation. So we can then, you know, come back to this and give people time to absorb and take action. But if you were to talk about where you see your future, like how you want to be this shining light, whether it's in the medical, medical field and how you want to help people, after this, if people want to connect with you, how are you shining your light brighter for people to have a slice of this? Like, you know, how is that happening? Do you mean in terms of my platforms or do you mean just in life? Like uh, both. Um, oh, it's a good question. Shining my light, like shining my light. I think one that's an internal process i have to believe in myself so um with that i'm choosing opportunities that allow me to share my story and also respect myself 
um, and my wishes for life, i.e. going to a bigger city because I feel like I need um, to interact with people that um, also, and I feel like bigger cities attract that kind of um, want for change, not to, like this is not against other smaller cities or anything like that, but I just feel like more people concentrate in these areas um, and I want to connect more with them. And also choosing projects that I feel is going to help um, my community and you know things that align with my values of so feminism, anti-racism, mental health, sexual health, like all those things. I feel like the more that I go into that, I will um, shine my bright, like light brighter and meet people along the way to then liaise and collaborate to have those projects. But also my platforms. Um, Instagram is my biggest one, and I think I use my stories to like my Instagram story to really share things that I'm thinking, um, and also through that collaborate with other people as well on Instagram to then have podcasts like this. Um, and yeah, then my blog. Um, I've had a lot to share in them, lots of deep writing pieces um, about colorism, about body size, and my relationship with my body. Um, feminism, sexism, and racism. So there's many things there in my journey along the way. If you're feeling like you want something, something to read, it's there. And yeah, please do, if anybody does want to connect with me, please do reach out and I'd be more than happy to have these conversations with yourselves. I'd love that. And I have a lot of, um, a lot of my community also have their own podcasts. So definitely reach out so you can have podcast interviews. Uh, I can think yeah. of at least five off the top of my head that have podcasts. And I think, yeah, the biggest, I would love to have another conversation with you around the, the gender scenario. Yeah. Um, so we'll put that in, we'll put that in the calendar. But I think, I know that this is just one conversation, but I hope if you're listening, I hope not only has it given you the openness to learn and the openness to, to know that we can learn, but also it's given you an appreciation for, I feel, I feel a bit emotional, you know, like <laughs> just, you know, and you just sort of feel a bit overcome by it, but I just think that we do have such a responsibility and I yeah. feel uh, grateful that you've had this conversation, but I also feel for my community you know, I, I feel a responsibility for them. You know, I feel for, I feel a responsibility to make sure that I give my community the best opportunity to learn. And I feel like I need to make sure I'm providing them with the people that can help them and, and help them learn. So I feel grateful for you for giving me the opportunity to help them. But I also feel, yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I just, I feel that this conversation is going to give a lot of people that follow me that do come from similar backgrounds to me an opportunity to reflect in a constructive way and and learn in a positive way and know that whatever action you take is action to creating positive change yeah. um and knowing like you said you know yeah knowing no one's going to be perfect it's not about being the best yeah. and, uh, and just doing your bit yeah yeah i think exactly all of that um at some points through this journey of um being an activist activist um there were concerns that i was having with myself like am i being performative am i doing this again for an egotistical point of view but i realized that um 
my hope really is to quote unquote like lead by example um it isn't to say that i am perfect through this at all it is to you know share my stories as best i can to hope that you know the right people if they need it it's there to expand how they feel about things and there are many other important voices on social media as well and they are doing very important work I would love to redirect you to all of them as well and that's something that I do often on my page um so yeah I could list all of them but I think it's better I just share them with you as well just to see yeah, definitely we can put them in the show notes yeah let's do that um yeah there's I'd love that I'd love that and I talk about that a lot like it's time to diversify the platforms who we learn from who we consume from who we see as our role models so I'd love to do that because I definitely went through a stage of actively seeking this yeah. for myself but I would love from your perspective to also have so definitely I'll make sure that we get those so we can put them in the show notes but also if they follow you yeah we can just stalk you for a little bit and you have them as well so <laughs> exactly that um yeah honestly i love this so much it was so yeah it was validating i love this conversation and to know that you know this is a form of connection to connect more people together i like i love that um yeah. so much samantha for oh <laughs> honestly thank you so much and we'll um as we said we'll put the show notes in here myself and ken will have another conversation and we'll schedule that to talk all about gender um, and everything else that comes along the way. But also um, all of your links will be in the show notes so people can come and stalk you and links to everyone else that you think would be really beneficial. And if you are listening and you want to interview kind of for your podcast or like a live or, you know, to have connection um, and to learn and to help your communities learn, because I think that's important. We all have people that follow us and almost look up to us to be the example. And my followers have that as well, that people look up to them to be the example. So if they are thinking, you know, I really want to have this powerful conversation and I want to make sure we're creating positive change, please just reach out to you. And, and I know that you would love to have those combos. I would love it. it actually, it makes me glow having these conversations. It makes me feel so whole. Good, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll see you on the episode soon. Thank you. Running a business can be hard and running a business alone as a solopreneur is even harder. If you are fed up of figuring it out on your own, making mistakes and struggling alone, trying to learn as you go, taking one step forward and feel like you take two steps backwards, there is always more that we can learn together. The BMA is the place for you. I'm extending a warm invite for you to join the place for female entrepreneurs to support and empower one another, to seek high level coaching and mentorship from me, and to have access to invaluable resources, templates, and worksheets for you to succeed, scale your businesses, and grow together. As an affordable, low investment every month, the BMA couldn't be more perfect for you. The Bold Moves Academy is focused at coaching female entrepreneurs in what they need most to accelerate their business and make the progress they deserve. Building a successful business doesn't have to be lonely and it certainly doesn't have to be complicated. I can't wait to see you inside the BMA today.